0: Well, good morning. Thank you for coming and being a part of what we call Journey. This is a church that God has really kind of developed from the beginning in a backyard to a tree to uh, Boys and Girls Club into here, and we're super excited about what God's doing. You know, I have a, a special guest here today, a friend of mine that uh, has blessed me immensely, and we've become great friends in a, in a short amount of time. Do you realize that you can become really good friends with someone in less than a year? And I've known this guy for a year and a half. We have a blessed, a blessed relationship, and he's the guy that led me to Israel. And he's here today, and he'll be after service in room four, showing a video and talking about it. And a couple people, I was talking to Israel at the fellowship Sunday last week, and somebody said, you have changed since you've come back. Your preaching's different, probably better. <laughs> I think that's what they were trying to say very softly. But this trip had such an impact in me and uh, uh, Letty and a few people that went. My parents went. And so we go and walk where Jesus walked. And if you want to learn more about it, it's an all-inclusive trip. Everything's included, tips and all of that that you can imagine. So if you're interested, in room four at 1030, we're going to play a video. And my friend Nasser, who's the uh, the... the President and CEO of Friendship Tours is here and he lives close and hopefully we'll get him back and, and share with more about what Jesus is doing in Israel. It was powerful and it was really impactful to me and my wife. And I really put it on my heart that I'm gonna take people back because of what it did to me in my life. So if you're interested, come and see me. Go room go to room four and we'll share a little bit more of what God is doing. In Israel, and how it brings hope into Camarillo and to all the states. My, my buddy Nasser has thousands of people go every year, and it impacts the world in, in great ways because of all these people experiencing that. Last week, we started something called Fellowship Sunday, and we put the pinnacle out, and we really had a great time of fellowship, and it was really powerful for me to get into a place of fellowship, and not just me, but to see everybody uh, fellowship in a way that makes sense, that we get out of the, the church and go out into the patio and see community really take fold, and this pinnacle ministry that's out in the foyer, if you're new here, that wasn't there until last week. It's something new. And we're trying to get people to have genuine, unique relationships because that's who we are as a church. We'd rather be more authentic and in love and, and, and more in God's grace than a perfect church because the, tr- the truth is the leadership of the church, the pastor of the church are imperfect by many ways and by many means. And you've heard me preach many times that how imperfect I am. We are continuing in this series called fearlessness. We're fearless. We are trying to become fearless. We are trying to put Christ in the center of our heart, mind, and soul so that we can become fearless in the things that the world does in our lives. That's the purpose here. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a supernatural enemy or force out there that's constantly pushing you away from God. It's like gravity pushing you away from God. And you have to stand up in the the, the throat of it and say, I'm not going to let this hold me back. I'm not going to let fear take me over. We have to fight that supernatural battle with the power that comes from Jesus Christ. I believe in a God that's all-powerful. And that's what we are trying to give away is the blessing that God is all-powerful and can take you out of your fear, and into a fearless part of life. Let's utilize God each and every day. Our memory verse, every series we have a memory verse. This memory verse I really love. It comes from Isaiah, and Isaiah is communicating to to Israel. He's communicating to Jerusalem, and he says, look, God is my deliverer. And after he communicates that God is my deliverer, he does some action. He takes a step, and here's what he says he does. He says, I will trust in him, and I will not fear. When I take a step of trusting in him, I don't fear. And the result from that says, the Lord gives me strength, he protects me, and then he becomes my deliverer. He becomes the center of my life, and he delivers me from my fears day in and day out. There was a season in my life when I was a young kid, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, that I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of things going on, and we had a pool, and it was always shining and glowing and making my room have weird things go on in the ceiling, and it took me a while to get through it. I mean, it wasn't like one night and my dad said, it's going to be okay. He didn't really say it that way. It was a lot different, but uh, I don't want to say it like the way he said it, so but it took some time. And over a couple of months, maybe half a year, I started to grow into a place of fearlessness and not fearfulness. Does that make sense? And you see that, that the Lord becomes more to us when we take steps closer to Him, kind of what Dustin was talking about, about his friend. Now I want to kind of start with a couple of stories. Now I'm not a farmer and I don't have an accent. I'm actually from Southern California. So when I hear my farmer accent, just go with it, okay? <laughs> so a farmer uh, moves in and buys this property, 75 acres, right? He buys 75 acres and his neighbor comes up and, you know, farmers are pretty welcoming. Comes up and goes, oh man, nice farm. What are you going to do with your 75 acres? And he says, I don't know yet. And he says, well, how about planting some wheat? Oh, no, I ain't going to plant any wheat there. And bull weevils will get them. I got too much fear of the bull weevils. I ain't going to plant wheat. That's pretty good, huh? <laughs> and then he says, well, what about corn? A lot of people in the neighborhood plant corn. Why don't you do corn? Oh, no, I ain't going to do corn. Them locusts come in. They eat all that corn up. I ain't going to do corn. And the guy's like, wow, this guy's a little weird. Let me ask one more. He goes, what about cattle? Why don't you just use your 75 acres for cattle? Let them graze. You won't have to do much. Just let them go out there and just enjoy it. He goes, oh, no, no, no cattle. There's that mad cow disease. If my cows get mad cow, I'll lose everything. I ain't going to do that. And he says, well, what are you going to do with that? He goes, I'm going to do nothing. Absolutely nothing because I'm afraid. And listen, most of us get to that place in our life where you have this huge inheritance that God has given you. 75 acres, 100 acres, a big place that God wants to give you and we do absolutely nothing. And God wants you to do something. And today we're going to talk about the fear of failure and how failure grips us and it makes us frozen in our tracks and we want to step on and and, and get out of that and take new risks. Here's what it says, fear of failure it is something that many of us struggle with. The actual statistics come in. Uh, I got last night, it says since, uh, since Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years, 100% of mankind has failed. That's a new statistic I saw. The truth is we fail all the time. What does the Bible say? All of us have fallen short, right? We're not uh, perfect individuals. We only have one that is perfect. All of us have fallen short. All of us has failed. And the truth is we kind of sit back and do nothing with our acreage because we're afraid. Not all of you, but a lot of us. When we take on new things, there's risk. When you think about going to Israel, there's risk. And when we went, we were worried, What do you do? There's some things, but the truth is it was amazing. But when you try new things, when you do new things, when you try and get a new best friend or get into a relationship or marriage, there's risks involved. And when there's risk, mankind gets into this place of fear, and they get frozen, and they do nothing with that acreage. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants so much more for us. Let me give you a few statistics. I don't know if you guys, you probably have heard this before in a sermon, but here's a few statistics. There's people in our life that we look, like, uh, we look to as heroes or super successful, but the truth is there's a ton of people that have had failure. How about Babe Ruth and Hank Ehrman? Babe Ruth, 714 home runs. Great baseball player. Hank Aaron, they call him Hammering Hank, 755, was one of the most exciting people to watch because he played so long and he continued to hit home runs. They could also be called strikeout kings. Babe Ruth struck out 1,380 times, Hammering Hank, 1,336 times. Think about that. I don't know, anybody ever play baseball? Anybody ever strike out? It's it's miserable when you strike out. It's like the whole world. There's three people in the stands and you're like, I can't get back to the thing. Striking out is far worse than ever hitting a home run. Trust me. I I hated striking out. But here, that's what we see. How about this one? Napoleon. At the age of 42, Napoleon had taken over the whole world. When he was a kid though, he ranked 42 out of 43 students in his class. Right? Right? Do you think Napoleon listened to that teacher that says you're going to be nothing in your life? You're never going to make nothing. Well, he conquered the world. Napoleon didn't have all the skills early on, but he had the skills to succeed. How about this one? This is my favorite one. We have a, a, a general... We have a general in our American history that is probably the greatest general that we've ever had. Do you know that he lost two-thirds of the battle? George Washington lost two-thirds of his battle before he won a third of them and won the Revolutionary War. But listen, two-thirds isn't good. That's not good. I'm not a math major, but two out of three is not good. But he did it. And we look to him as one of our great generals and our great founders, but he was failing a lot, and he did great things. What are signs and fears of failures? I looked up on uh, Mindset Today. It's a psychology website, and are some signs uh, that you might have the fear of failure. A reluctance to try new things or to get involved in challenging prospects or programs. If you have that, you might have a fear of failure. How about this one? Self-sabotage. For example, procrastination, excessive anxiety, or failure to follow through with goals. I used to have that. That was me right there. That's me. Low self-esteem, low self-confidence and use these negative thoughts. I'll never be good enough to get to that place or that promotion or I'm not smart enough to be on that team or in that school or at that church or in this place in my life. If you're saying those things, you probably have a sign of failure, Fear of failure. And here's the last one, perfectionism. Here's an interesting one. There's people that feel like I'm only going to do things that I'm going to be really good at and I'm really going to succeed. And if I don't do that, I'm going to let my farm just sit and rot with 75 acres because I'm not going to succeed in that. If you've got any of those in your life, there's a chance that you have a fear of failure. And I did. I did a lot of self-sabotaging and I pulled up a lot from accomplishing my goals in life. And the only thing that ever happened was I put Christ in the middle of my life and I started to achieve and accomplish things that I could never expect could come from within me because they didn't. They came from God. Does that make sense? Here's the last one. Abraham Lincoln. I was going to kind of hide it, but yeah, you guys have all known it. But this guy has had like 28 failures and three successes. Listen to this story. First of all, when he was like 9 or 10 years old, he was forced out of his home and had to get a job at 9. Right? I can't get my kids to get a job at 16. But I got this girl. She's not here right now, so I can say that right now. But he lost his house, had to get a job. At the age of 11, he lost his job. Who lost their job before 11? Not very many people. At the age of 12, his mother died. Ten years later, he failed in his first business. He ran for state legislator, lost. He lost another job, wanted to go to law school because the work wasn't working. He couldn't get into law school. He borrowed some money from a friend to begin a business and by the end of that, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years paying off that debt. He was engaged to his, his sweetheart. She died. It took him to a tailspin. His heart was broken. That very next year, that death took him to a nervous breakdown where he was in bed for six months. After that, he sought to become the Speaker of State Legislator. He was defeated. He sought to become an elector. He was defeated. He ran for Congress. He lost. He ran for Congress. He won for two years. Then he went for reelection. He lost. He ran for uh, the land officer in his homeland. He was he was rejected. He ran for uh, state senator. He lost, he ran for U.S. Senator, he lost, he sought the vice presidency of his party's nomination, got less than a hundred votes, he lost that, he won one senator race and then he lost his re-election and in 1860 he was elected the president. And he is looked at not only as maybe the greatest president, probably the greatest American leader of all time and probably in the top one or two leaders in all of the world because of who he was. And here's the quote that he says. And this is something that just blows my mind because I didn't understand this growing up. But here's what he says. He says, success is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. Right? Without losing your enthusiasm, success is is going from failure to failure. It's not from victory to victory. Right? We don't realize that it's from failure that good things come. We are so stuck in our old ways. Today we're going to read from one sentence out of the Bible, one verse, and I'm going to refer to it over and over again because this is what God wants to speak to us today in this church. First service, second service, at the beach baptism, this is what he wants us to hear as a congregation. So if you're here today, this is a message for you. We're going to go to Timothy chapter 2, something I quoted a couple of weeks ago, Timothy chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to explain to you who Timothy was. Timothy was a young man. He probably heard the gospel at uh, uh, pre-teen, uh, teenage years. He probably met the apostle Paul and heard the gospel on Paul's first missionary trip. Timothy had a mother and a father. His father was Greek. His mother was a Jewish woman. His grandmother and mother raised him as a Jewish man, even though his father was Greek. They raised him in the Old Testament laws of Judaism. So when the apostle Paul came in his first, uh, his first trip, He actually evangelized Timothy and his family, and they had a radical, uh, powerful impact in their life. Timothy, in the second missionary trip, went with Paul and Silas, and Paul became his mentor. At the point that he leaves, he's probably late teens, early 20s, when he becomes the pastor of Ephesus, a a, a big place with probably a huge megachurch. Had a lot of people at an early age. And here's the interesting point. I believe the apostle Paul, as through his writing, is telling us that Timothy had a lot of fear. He had a lot of ailment. I don't know if you guys, who fears a lot? If you fear a lot, you get this churning thing inside of you, right? And it creates ulcers. And in in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 23, listen to what it says. It says, here's the apostle Paul mentoring young Timothy. And he says this, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, let me stop for a second. Many go, see, Jesus or Paul tells us I could drink at an early age. It's not true. They were using wine to help him because he had something going on in his stomach. And it was a form of medication. So don't get all excited. I, I, I'm not supposed to drink, but now I can drink, right? But here's the thing. Timothy is struggling. Now, uh, Jeremy was out doing something in, at Cam High this week, and a lot of the kids are like, oh, yeah, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. I'm like, I don't know if they really do. That's what Jeremy said. I don't know if you really want to. It looks cool from the outside, but when you start dealing with people's problems and a young church and f- theology questions and all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure Timothy was like, I'm overwhelmed. Somebody sent me an email, maybe Kathy or somebody sent me something about a, a pastor burning out. Pastors burn out. Young pastors that are 24, 25 get into the churches of 5,000, 3,000. There's been a bunch of them. They burn out within five years because the stress is humongous. And it takes some time and some season to get through it. This is a hard job. And Timothy has fear. And here's what it says. Uh, if you guys are able to stand, let's stand and read from this. And I want you to repeat after me and with me. And we're going to say it like we mean it, right? Second Timothy seven says this. Everybody together. For God, let's try this again. It says, ready? 1, 2, 3. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Let's do it again. For God did not give it a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. One more time, like your life depends upon it. Because someone in here is struggling with fear. Let's make this like your life. Depends upon it. Ready? Go. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and self-control. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you give us power, love, and self-control. Bestow us, Holy Spirit, upon that so that we can grasp what you're trying to speak today. Utilize us. Bless us. Open up our heart and soul so that we can grab a hold of this. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I love this verse. The NLT says it a little bit differently, but here's what the NLT says. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, one of love, and of sound judgment. I love that sound judgment and fearfulness. God doesn't give us fearfulness. He gives us love and power and sound judgment. That's what he does in our life. He wants to bless us. He wants to change us. But many are grippled with fear. I'm going to tell you a story. A man comes from a foreign country, comes into the United States, and he doesn't speak any English, zero, not one word, doesn't understand it, sounds foreign to him. Kind of funny there, I guess not. He's so afraid of making a mistake and having people look at him. He's like, I don't want to make any mistake. I don't want ever, anybody to look at me. I never once want to do anything. So he finds an interpreter and says to the interpreter, teach me how to say three words so I can eat every day. I just want to eat. That's all he wants to do is eat. I'll be able to live and do everything else. Teach me three words. So the interpreter says, okay, here's your three words. Hamburger, fries, and Coke. So that whole day he learned hamburgers, fries, and coke. The next day he's all excited because he knows three words in the United States or the English language. So he goes up to this restaurant and he goes hamburgers, fries, and coke. And lo and behold, a few minutes later, guess what he got, hamburgers, fries, and coke. Now for the next year, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all he had was what, (laughs) hamburgers, fries and Coke. He hunts down the interpreter and he says, he's, he's, he's living well. He's probably gained a few pounds. He's living well, but he's like, man, I want to eat something, some breakfast. Love breakfast. I want to get me some breakfast. So he goes up to the interpreter and he's like, man, can you just teach me three more words? I, I want to incorporate breakfast. And the interpreter says this. He says, say these three words, eggs, toast, and juice. Right? He's like, yeah. So they work all day, eggs, toast, and juice. He goes in the next morning, excited for a new taste in his taste buds, right? And he goes up to the waitress, and the waitress comes and says, What would you like? You like eggs. She's so like, How would you like them? Over easy, over medium, scrambled? How do you want your eggs? Hard boiled? He's like, Toast. <laughs> what kind of toast? Wheat toast, white toast, white toast? english muffin biscuit and he's like and he starts freaking out he's like juice what type of juice would you like orange juice grapefruit juice tomato juice what other juices are there and he's going through fear apple juice and he starts to fear and he starts to see that he's failing and he says hamburger fries and coke and here's the point of the story. Many of us live in this hamburger, hamburger, fries, and Coke life. We're stuck there, and we never actually live out what God has for us. We're stuck, and man, I can get me in and out every night, one meal. That's it. I'll eat it every night for probably a year. I'll be okay, but I can't do it three times a day. And many of us are stuck, and maybe that's the only food you like, but put lettuce on the, as the bun. Take the cheese, put cheese on it, onions, mushrooms, bacon, Gouda, I don't know, do something with it. But most of us stick in this hamburger, fries, and and Coke kind of lifestyle, and we live in fear. We have this unhealthy idea of perfection in society. TV and media are driving us to this place of only perfection, I see baseball players and football players, and I see beautiful people on TV, and I only look at perfection, and I think that that's the only thing I can be, and so I don't want to fail. I've got this unhealthy idea, but God wants you to grasp this idea of failure. I want you, God is telling us, to grasp failure. Because failure makes us who we are. God wants you to take failure, grab a hold of it, and say, listen, if you fail, I'm going to pick you up and allow you to succeed in the way that I want you to succeed, not the way that you want to succeed. Does that make sense? And I want to say this, that you can come back from failure. I think my dad told me many years ago... uh, I didn't think he was wise back then, but he sure got a lot wiser as I've gotten older. (laughs) Why is that? But he told me, he said, he said, Jeff, if you get an education, you could go bankrupt. You could lose everything. You could get divorced. You could go to jail. But you could actually get that education and put it in and start utilizing it later down in life, even if you lose everything. And that's what I'm telling you with God. If you put God in your life, you can lose everything. But here's what God wants me to tell you. You can recover from failure. You can recover from failure. Listen to what Proverbs 24:16 says. For a righteous ma- man falls seven times. And then what? Again. Say that out loud like you mean it. For a righteous man falls seven times and then rises up. How did he get to the second time? He stood up. He fell again and he stood up. And he fell again and he stood up. Because that's what a righteous man does. Failure defines us and makes us who we are. Listen, God, you cannot please God. You cannot please God by sitting on your hands and feet and do nothing. After you become a believer, and most of us in this room believe in Jesus Christ, he says, follow me. Don't just believe, but follow me. And if you say you're a believer, you can't just sit in church and do nothing. You can't just sit in home and put your Bible and use it as a Coke, burger, and fry stand. You've got to do something. How do I know that? Look at Matthew 25. There's this place where there's talking about the fear of God. In a couple weeks, we're going to give you a powerful message on the fear of God. Matthew 25, there's this moment. I'm just going to paraphrase the story for time's sake. Matthew 25, 14, you should read it today. It's in your notes as a reference. There's a moment where they're trying to communicate this story about five talents, two talents, and one. You all have heard the story. And, 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 and this man goes on a trip, and he says, before he goes, here's five talents, do something with it. Here's two, do something, here's one. He comes back after being on the journey, and he goes to the first five, the guy that's got five, and he says, "Hey, you know, Here, I know that you, you gave me these talents, I doubled them. And he says, well done. Goes to number two and and with the two talents. And he says, I did the same thing. I doubled them. I thought that I loved you enough that I wanted to double what you'd given me. He says, well done. And to both of those, he gives them the four talents and the the five talents. Gives them both. But the last one, he comes up. And this last one has a a bad understanding of who this man was. He says, sir, I know that you're a hard man. You're an evil man. and, And you harvest and you cultivate stuff that's really not yours. So because I was afraid... Because I lived in fear, verse 25 says, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Because I was afraid of who you are, I was living in fear, I didn't want to fail, I hid it in the ground, and what does the man say? You wicked servant, get away from me, give me that talent, and he gives it to the guy that's got five. We can't please God by doing nothing. We sit in this place and think that we can please God by just coming to church and putting money in the offering and a prayer card, but we can't please God by doing nothing. He wants us to try. He wants us to do something. He wants us to belong to his family and, and, and his kingdom. He wants us to grow. According to Jesus and the way that he would communicate to us today, it's better to have lost everything than not to try right it's it's better to have lost god can take care of your failure god can take care of all the loss and failure that you have in your life he can't do nothing if you don't try In Psalm one nineteen, and this is my story. If my testimony was in one verse, this is my testimony. Psalm one nineteen sixty seven says this: Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Then the NLT says this: I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I follow closely. Listen, this is what this verse is saying. Before I had a problem and I failed, I used to do whatever I wanted. But all of a sudden, once I failed, I realized God is the way. And now I'm going to take your word and utilize it each and every morning, each and every day, each and every night. And that doesn't mean reading 24 hours a day. It means I'm going to follow. Before I was afflicted, I went off. But now, once I had a failure in my life, now I can actually follow your word. That's me. That's who I am. That's what God does. Do you realize that there's benefits for failure? We idolize all these successful people. And I could list hundreds, if not thousands of people that have had humongous failures. There's people in this room that have failed multiple times and have been risen up but there are benefits from failure. Here's the first one, I think there's three. The first one is failure educates. Failure educates. We've all heard about Thomas Edison, right? Thomas Edison uh, uh, failed 10,000 times, right? If you're like me, I give up about three. Well, that didn't work. I gave it three, try, try again, right? That's what I do. But Thomas Edison got educated. By the time he got to the light bulb, and someone's like, well, he's not the real credited. Yeah, he's the one that put uh, the light in your morning today. He understood electricity, and he understood light bulbs so that we can have it. That's why it's called Southern California. That I don't like to pay, (laughs) but I need the light. Failure educates us. Thomas Edison is a great form of that education. How about this? The second one is, failure helps us discern our true talent or giftfulness. Failure helps us discern that, right? Let me give you a, a, an example of that. There's a guy named Ray Kroc, lived on the East Coast, was a real estate guy, was terrible at real estate. Some people are good at real estate. He was terrible. Lost his job. Decided to go into sales. He was terrible at sales. He was selling high-end stuff. Lost his job. Then he came to California at the age of 50. I don't know how old you are, but at the age of 50, he had been a failure. He had nothing to his name. Went to this place. A couple guys selling burgers, fries, and Cokes with an M in front of their store. And at the age of 50, he bought McDonald's and called it McDonald's. And today he served over five billion people and it's killing us one burger at a time. (laughs) I added that last part in there. (laughs) Some of you are going to go there afterwards and just realize if you go to church afterwards and take a burger from, from McDonald's today that this guy failed huge. And you're eating a failure's burger, but he's succeeding and he succeeded in great ways because of that. Does that make sense? Listen, if you're riding a dead horse, dismount it. Let me say that again. If you're riding a dead horse, dismount it. And I know that's cruel. So if you're part of the PETA organization, go and see Jeremy. He'll really understand that. But I'm trying to tell you, many of us are riding a dead horse. we got 75 acres, and it's going nowhere. You're letting the land lay follow, and nothing's happening. Dismount the horse, and let everybody say, move on. We got to move on. If you're riding a dead horse, it's time to get up and move on. We can't live in failure. We've got to live and learn and educate and go to that place of true giftedness. Does that make sense? Here's the third benefit, and this is probably the most important one, that when you have failure in your life, there's something that happens, something supernatural happens in your life. When you have failure, you become less judgmental. When you have failed deeply in your life, you give a lot of grace and mercy because you're like, oh, I've been there, right? All of a sudden, the third benefit is i failed, and yeah, there's somebody out there uh, that needs a little handout, but we've all been pretty close to that, and we become less judgmental and become more graceful and give more mercy because of that. Now, this is probably what this sermon's going to be remembered for right here, so... This is the most impactful. This is probably what everybody's going to remember this sermon for. But listen to this proverb. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Proverb 14.4 says this. Without oxen in a stable. Without oxen a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Let me explain that to you. What it really says. If you want to keep your room. Or you want to keep your stable clean. Don't do anything. But if you want to have a large harvest, there's going to be doo-doo in the stable. There's going to be doo-doo in the stable. If you want to get into a relationship and think about marriage and meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, there's going to be doo-doo in that marriage. You didn't ever think that would come out of that, but there's going to be doo-doo. You want to have kids? There's going to be doo-doo in that. Stuff that you've never seen before. You think it's from a different country or a different part of the world. But if you want to have kids, there's going to be doo-doo in that. If you want to start a church, trust me, there's more doo-doo than you ever wanted to deal with. You want to start a business, you want to start a job, you want to build a product, a lot of doo-doo. That's what this proverb is telling us. But if you don't want to do anything, if you just want to let that piece of 75 acres lay rest, there will be no doo-doo, but nothing else is going to happen. And you won't get a large harvest. Listen, the doo-doo allows the, the people to use that as fertilizer and bring a large harvest to the, to the crowd, right? Doo-doo's good. As I sat back and listened to this part and as I was kind of praying through this, I was thinking about this. God loves to clean your doo-doo up. Listen, God loves to clean up your doo-doo. How do I know that? Because I think about myself. And I know when I moved into Camarillo, I had truckloads coming with me. Full of doo-doo. But God loves to clean up your doo-doo. And this week I as I was sitting there and I was trying to be more impactful, I, I was trying to be more spiritual, and I'm sitting on my couch Friday afternoon praying. I'm just sitting on my couch, I'm praying, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not study. I'm just trying to pray, God, speak in a way that this congregation will understand this. And I'm praying, and, and I'm trying to get more really spiritual, and all of a sudden my doorbell rings, and I'm like, oh man, who's here? You know, and I, and I, I was upset. I'm like, "God, oh, who's bugging me now, right? And I get up and I'm thinking it's Jeremy or Dustin or Odell and it's somebody I don't know. And there's this girl with a red shirt on. And, and, and she opened, I open up the door and she stepped, takes a step back and she goes, hi, my name's Veronica. I'm from Teen Challenge. And it's like, would you like to support me and my nine month sobriety? And I just got so excited and I said, yeah. You know, and I'm sure this girl didn't realize what she was getting into at this moment. And I went upstairs and I grabbed the check and I and as I was coming down and she's probably expecting she's going to get a big check and she's like didn't realize I'm a pastor and didn't have big checks. <laughs> but I came down with a check. And as I'm walking downstairs to give her this check, God says tell her about your failures. <laughs> and I freaked this chick out. <laughs> I started telling her about my testimony and that all the failures and all my doo-doo that God has cleaned up. And I said, don't give up. Nine months is nothing. If you come back in five years or 10 years, you will be living out a dream that you've never expected. This was never my plan. This was never my plan. This is God's plan. And he started with dunk trucks to move my doo-doo so that I can do the work that he wants me to do. And this chick, by the time she's watching me cry because I was just like this, and she's like, Thank you, because I feel like giving up right now. And I said, God's got a plan, but you just got to stick through it. Stand up when you fail because you're going to fail and let God clean up your doo doo. I'm going to invite the band back up. Somebody's sitting here today and saying, Jeff, well, what's the solution? What's the application? What's the solution? I have this. The symptoms are me. I have this. There's a foolproof thing in the Bible. There's one thing, and it's in our verse, that's guaranteed foolproof that the Bible tells us will never fail. And it says this, that love never fails. Love never fails. Our Bible tells us that I don't have a spirit of fear, but I have a power and I have sound judgment. And if I use it and I'm motivated by love, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians thirteen eight. love never fails. If you're in a relationship conflict, love never fails. If you're in a place in a conflict with your landlord or your best friend, love never fails. If you're struggling with God, love never fails. If you want to work more about the kingdom of God, love never fails. Be motivated by love. That's the foolproof method. Love never fails. How do we know that? Don't just listen to the weeping pastor up there. Look at the Bible and look at all the failures. You think you can't be used? Here's another list. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused and love never failed them. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Love never failed them. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Love never failed. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt, but love never failed. Peter denied Christ. The apostles fell asleep. Martha was a worry but love never failed them. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than one time. We're talking four or five times, and love didn't fail her. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had ulcers. And listen, love never failed them. Z- Lazarus was dead. And love didn't fail him. It brought him back up. (laughs) Love does not fail. It never does. It never has. And it never will. When you are motivated by God's love, the fear will go away. And your failures will be enhanced. God will come up with his doo-doo truck and pick it all up. And make something beautiful. A big harvest. Does that make sense to you guys today? The answer to your problem is not a program. It's a person. The answer to your uh, program is not a program. It's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That person is Jesus. And that's who is the one that really grabs a hold of us. And I want you to think about this question right now. I want you to think about this question. Is the cross enough for you? Is what Jesus did on the cross enough? Because if you're living in fear of failure, you're saying it's not enough for me, I need more from you, Lord. And that is disrespectful. Is the cross enough? Look at the stripes and what Jesus did, and look at that cross. And you've got to realize that's more than enough. It works for me, it works for you. Is the cross enough for you today? We have victory. Jesus Christ is my victor. Jesus Christ is your victor. And he is our victory. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. But of power and of love. And of sound judgment. That's who we have. And he's my victory. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering and and you're feeling sad or you're feeling confused or you're feeling scared or you're feeling convicted or or you're feeling something and you just don't know what it is, that's the Holy Spirit challenging you. Stand up, rise up, let the victory of Jesus Christ stand. Don't diminish the cross. It's more than enough for all of us. All time, all of mankind, and all of our failures, Christ did it all. It was all complete. And most of us forget that and we don't realize that. And so we sit in failure. We sit in fear. And today I want to remind you, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. Jesus is my victory. Do you believe that today? A righteous man stands up. Let's stand up and pray. If you have failed many times, God says, stand up, righteous men and women, and let's be victorious in me because he is my victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I give you thanks and praise for who you are. Holy Spirit, come and minister to all of us. You are my victory. You are my hope. Help us be motivated by love because your love never fails. And Lord, there is a loving offer right now to someone in this room and that offer is to accept Jesus into your heart maybe for the first time if that's you today here's the opportunity to step into that love and let him start working on all your failures that's you repeat after me father forgive me come into my heart come into my soul and be the love of my life forever because I know your love never fails I know that what you did on the cross is enough for me. You died and you rose again so that I can have eternal life. Holy Spirit, anoint me. Come into my heart and let me walk in all your ways. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.